Welcome to the Heroes of Reality podcast, a podcast about the game of life and the hero's journey we all experience. Let's jump in with our host, Dylan Watkins, as he introduces today's guest. Welcome, young adventurers. Dylan here. And on today's podcast, I have Ian Anderson from Melbourne, Australia, now calling Seattle home. He spent his entire career focusing on helping other people become healthier, happier, and more successful helping them to unlock their human potential and get more out of life. As the founder of Zoetic, a well-being and human performance specialist, an educator, coach, and consultant, he has empowered hundreds of people, athletes, coaches, uh, schools, and organizations in over nine countries across five continents. Now, as life begins to move beyond the pandemic, thank God, his mission and vision is to amplify his reach further helping people to regain their confidence, motivation, develop resilience, strengthen relationships, and develop healthy and high-performing habits that will transform their future. So without any further delay, I'd like to welcome Ian Anderson. Hey, brother. Thanks, Dylan. Hi, everyone. Thanks, Dylan. <laughs> Excited to have you here. I appreciate you being on. Um, I love your mission of, of uh, helping people be healthier and happier and higher performance. Um, so I'd first like to start with, you know, Talk to me just a little bit about your journey. What was that moment that that caused you to want to spend your entire career helping people become healthier and happier and more successful? It's It's been an evolution. Um, so I, I'll start at the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> but growing up, I was, uh, I was an athlete. Um, I played at a very high level in basketball and swimming. So competed at a national level in Australia for both of those as a junior. And in that, I, I was thrown into this fascination of nutrition and, and best ways to amplify your performance, sports psychology, all, all these different types of elements that an athlete uses to try and make themselves the best competitor that they can be. Uh, and so that, that began that fascination, which continued into my uh, tertiary education or university. So. After high school, I decided, well, I want to continue this. I have a passion for sport. Uh, I want to be able to give back. So I physical education and psychology. So really combining two of my greatest interests there. Um, then became an educator, uh, was teaching physical education and psychology and got a, an amazing opportunity to become a positive psychology consultant. So um, we had, at the time, the International uh, Positive Psychology Association president came and worked with us at the school I was teaching at, and I was selected uh, to become a consultant uh, with her um, to help introduce robust well-being programs, uh, positive psychology programs into schools and other organizations. And that really was kind of a turning point for me where I realized I I come from this athletic and this sports background. And then now I'm in schools and there's this positive psychology thing, which is actually, for those who don't know, it's kind of like sports psychology, but for the average person. It's where sports psychology is helping athletes become stronger competitors, uh, improve their mindset, their resilience under pressure, all those sorts of things. Well, positive psychology is kind of doing the same thing, but for for you and me within our everyday lives. Mm. Uh, And so it's broadly applicable to everybody. So in in terms of positive psychology, what you're saying about that 
is you, you're not you're not helping uh, basically people that are, for example, depressed or or um, um, psychologists or therapists. You're not helping people that feel like there's some sort of detriment in their life um, get feel okay. You're helping people that are generally okay, but you're you're really optimizing the way that they think, the way that they move, the way that they function. And is that a lot of that involving, uh, you know, how much of that is, is, is mental work and how much of that is physical work? Uh, it's actually a lot of both, uh-huh. but it's a lot more than that as well. So yeah, you, you, hit, some, you hit it right on the head. Uh, it, it's basically, if you imagine most of us are in this neutral point, so yeah. like a deficit in terms of our psychology might be extreme stress, anxiety, depression, uh, all, so a mental, almost to a mental illness, that would be a deficit. The majority of us are in this neutral place, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we're at our best, we're optimum, um, that we're able to perform at our best, think at our best, be at our best. Um, and so positive psychology, similar to sports psychology, is about elevating you from your neutral state to an elevated state and helping you to maintain that. Got it. Okay. So then yeah, so it's, it's, it's going from good to great, right? And, yeah, and- exactly. Exactly. And teaching people sort of the processes of how do you sustain that? Um, because as you, as I'm sure you're aware, mm-hmm. most people, if you're not sick, you think you're healthy. And we know that that's just not the case. Just because I'm not, I don't have the sniffles doesn't necessarily mean I'm in my optimum state of health. I love that. I'm not, if I'm not sick, I'm healthy. It's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah that's that's beautiful. And uh, I didn't mean to knock you off the track, but I did want to. I did want to address because you're using the word positive psychology. A lot of people may not know what it is. So I love the fact that you went into it to explain it a bit. But to kind of reroute the train back onto the tracks, you were explaining how you got visited by the president of the International Society of Positive Psychology. Um, and you got selected from there, working on it at your school, and then you were to carry on from that to... Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll keep going. So Thank you. Yeah, so she actually came to implement a positive psychology sort of uh, well-being framework at the school I was working at. And so I was um, brought on board as sort of a key change agent, someone to learn from her and then carry that forward after she left and then also work with other organizations. So I'll just clarify that. But that was this turning point where I've, I realized that the principles that I'd learned as an athlete with um, my conditioning, with nutrition, with my mindset, with sports psychology, all those sorts of things. Well, if positive psychology is applicable to the general public, maybe there's some of those principles that uh, athletes use that are also more broadly applicable to the majority of us. Um, if we think of ourselves all as athletes of life, if you like. Mm -hmm. Now, our game is different, our circumstances are different, the environments in which we are in is different, but the way in which we can try to optimize ourselves for the goals, the ambitions, the tasks that we have to face, that process is actually quite similar when you look at it. Um, Mm -hmm. And I mean in terms of, well, let's say an athlete has to condition themselves physically, mentally, uh, and a bunch of other ways, which we'll get into later. But um, then depending on what your occupation is or what your goals are, your aspirations are for life, well, yeah, you might need to condition yourself in a particular way. Uh, Let's take a professional musician, Mm -hmm. a guitarist or a drummer, 
there is a lot of conditioning that goes into being able to perform um, a guitar riff. There's a lot of dexterity that they have to train, they have to prepare, they have to condition their body for. Mm-hmm. Um, the same with, with a singer, same with a journeyman who is working on power lines. Yeah. <laughs> so th- we, we all have it depending on what yeah. our mission is. Um, mm-hmm. And so that really opened my eyes. That working with Lee Waters, uh, Professor Lee Waters, she, I guess that experience opened my eyes to, hold on, there's a broadly applicable framework in which we can help people optimize their potential and their performance and their well-being. So That's beautiful. So it's one of those things that you had certain superpowers in the back of the day. You were an amazing athlete. You were leveling up in those different skill sets of being an athlete and you need to understand your body, your mind, because in order to, to next, go to the next level, it's a, it's a game of inches when it comes to being an athlete. So you need to optimize all places. Then no. you saw that positive psychology, that the skill set that you had in this very narrow field, call it narrow because of it's an athlete compared to the general public, you actually realized that you actually could take your superpower skill sets your, and say, oh, that each person in life, these different athletes in life, they 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 all need to get better at different things depending on their, their role or the character type that they play, a musician type versus um, power lines. And so, and so you realize that yeah. you could take the skill set of optimizing um, athletic performance and then just narrowly specific um, focus in each one of these categories to be able to level up each person in, in their area of life. And, that, and, and then you realize, oh, I'm good at that and I can do this. And I can see where I can add value. And that kind of inspired you to that path forward. Is that correct? Completely. And it, it has evolved beyond that, but you hit it on, on the head for sure. Hmm. Um, so one of the things I want to talk about, you said broadly applicable framework. What do you mean by that? Yeah, great. So um, that's kind of what I alluded to when I said it's evolved from that. So I operate, uh, since starting Zoetic, I operate with an eight-pillar model. Um, And this eight-pillar model is applicable to people universally. It doesn't matter who you are, what culture you're in, what country. And so these eight pillars, uh, some people will refer to them as the eight pillars of well-being. Mm-hmm. But really, uh, I see these as the eight pillars that make up um, who we are as people and the state of each of these, which I will get to, <laughs> the state of each of these kind of dictate uh, how we can perform um, and develop health, happiness and success. So the eight pillars are your physical state, emotional state, intellectual state, uh, social state, occupation um, or occupational state, I should say, uh, environmental state, financial state, and spiritual state. And mm. each of those, uh, some people will refer to them as the eight pillars of well-being, but I see them as eight key components of life that each of us have a relationship with. We have a relationship with our physical self, our emotional self, our intellectual self, social self. So all of these things, we've got eight different key components that make us who we are. And the state of each of those pillars, dimensions, whatever you want to call them, uh, has an impact on the others. So, for example, your physical well-being or physical state has an impact on your emotional state uh, and vice versa. If you, Let's look at emotional state, for example. If you're in a positive state uh, emotionally, then you are going to be more likely to be physically active. You're going to be more likely to be involved in social environments. 
you're more likely to try and challenge yourself or take on new things that will grow you intellectually and then also occupationally. So they all interact with each other. The uh, fascinating thing about that though is that they also impact each other in the opposite direction as well. So when certain uh, states are in a negative, then that can cause a deficit or inhibit growth in those other pillars as well. So it's it's a complex relationship, but when you when you really start to look at it as a big picture, which people rarely do, um, it starts to make a lot more sense where I don't, I'll keep going, but yeah. for example, when we talk about well-being, mm-hmm. uh, people will look at typically sort of three main areas and that's their physical well-being, emotional well-being, um, and sometimes their, their social well-being that can interchange with some other, some of the others, but we're looking at three main ones and that's fine. Like there's nothing wrong with that. It's great that people pay attention to that. The challenge we have is when we pay attention to just three, we neglect the others and that neglect or not paying attention to the others can also lead to that deficit. Um, and part of the problem that we have there is due to clever marketing and, and things that we, we live in a, a fairly capitalist society where we're being told to buy certain things and that, that's awesome. But we then become fixated on those things and turn a blind eye to the others. So then let's, let's, let's break down a couple of these pieces. Um, I mean, so you're talking about these different eight pillars of, of well-being or, or life and, and each one affects the other ones, right? So, mm-hmm. so if you, if, if you only get at a certain level max on one, the other ones can't rise up. So basically they, they need to rise up together. Um, at the same time though, if you're, if you try to focus on everything at once, I, I assume it's, it's pretty overwhelming to try to get them all to raise together at the same time. Say we're going to work on their eight pillars and we're going to do it all at the same time. And you're going to evolve in all these categories. You know, is there is there a certain sequence that you like to focus on in order of operations that you think is the is the best way to actually get them to to actually increase these all? Because you want them all to happen, but I imagine as soon as you do that, then you get overwhelmed and you stop and burn out and you don't do it anymore. So how do you how do you rectify the the need for one to level up all areas, uh, but the sheer sense of overwhelm of trying to do it all at once? Yeah, completely. And fantastic question. Is a lot of a lot of people obviously struggle with that, uh, being eight different things. Mm. And the order in which I presented that to you is not exactly opposite, but the one that I presented last being spiritual well-being actually comes first. And when I say spiritual well-being, a lot of people get turned off and think, oh, that's a religious thing. <laughs> but really, spiritual well-being or the spiritual state uh, refers to having a sense of meaning and purpose. And so... For some people, that is, uh, they find that sense of meaning and purpose in religion. Other people, it's within their family. Uh, we, we all associate our deepest sense of meaning and purpose in different ways. But that is the most powerful thing. And it can actually help to define the process and the strategy for each of the other domains or, or dimensions. But, um, yeah, when, when we can sit down and, and discuss or try to clarify a sense of meaning and purpose and where someone finds fulfillment, then that can have an impact on, okay, well, what does your optimum physical state look like in order to help facilitate that fulfillment uh, and drive that purpose? Same with emotional well-being. Like what role do each of these other pillars play in that meaning and purpose? Yeah. Well, with that, I mean, yeah, it's very hard uh, to go into the meaning um, of spiritual well-being 
uh, without um, busting out crystals and talking about woo-woo stuff. And people people get very turned off because it's it's not like you know, I want to get muscles. You can see my muscles. I have yeah. muscles. You can lift weight. You can. There's a very clear essence where you can look at someone. You can say clearly they're in the gym. You look at you know look at Arnold Schwarzenegger. You look at anybody in the space. You can see that they have a clear. You can go like that person knows how to do that. So, you know, what are some, what are some roadblocks that people face trying to uh, cultivate their spiritual well-being, right? What are some roadblocks, and then what are some what are some indicators that they're that they're on the right path to try to figure that out? Yeah, great question. So, when we talk about meaning and purpose and, and spiritual well-being. I think one of the biggest uh, roadblocks that I've experienced when working with people is a, a lot of people just tend to go routinely one thing to the next in life without actually reflecting on what is important to them and why they're doing something. Uh, so that in and of itself, when we don't necessarily have this uh, opportunity to reflect and think, well, why am I actually doing this and what is this leading towards and why is it important to me? that ends up causing a lot of challenge for people when I say, well, let's talk about meaning and purpose because they're like, well, I've never really done that. So where do we start? But um, yeah, so the, the first step is a, a journey of self-exploration and really trying to uh, drill down to their, their basic motivations. What, what are their motivations in life? And then we can try and move forward from there to find um, different things that are going to lead to that fulfillment. Um, the, the process is one that happens gradually. And so some people love their job, don't really know why. And then they, it's not necessarily that they're going to change jobs, but they will go through this journey of reflection and they'll realize why they love their job. It's, uh, and, and that actually drives that, um, that interest and that passion uh, in what they do even more. They end up experiencing greater satisfaction from their work. They end up being more productive at work because now they can see a relationship as to why they do what they do. Uh, and some people, when they start, I'm just going to use jobs because that's a fairly common example for people. Sure. But um, when people start a new job, they, they tend to have a, a good reason behind why they apply for a particular job or want to work at a particular place they have this sense of meaning and purpose when they start and we tend to lose that along the way yeah. and so yeah sometimes if it's job related my job is to help people rediscover that or redefine that if it's changed over time um sorry that's that's yeah that's, that's interesting you're right I, I feel like whenever i think about people being employed at a place um I think almost I don't know why, but in terms of a car, I imagine that like I'm I'm so excited and my motivation I'm moving at 80 miles an hour, and then all of a sudden something happens at work like uh, someone's rude and it goes from like 80 miles an hour to like 70, right? Yep. And then it goes from like and then the boss doesn't acknowledge you, and then something happens, and then there's something else that and it goes and you have all this motivation that's that's driving you forward, and then eventually you're like going backwards and you're like I just want to get out of this place. I don't like this place. You get like disenfranchised with the experience by having all those little, all those little micro experiences. So it sounds to me like you're doing, you're, you know, you're putting accelerant in the motivation by saying, okay, let's rediscover and re-uncover what about the job really thrills you, and what about it, you know, is it is this the right job, and and if it is, why is it that way? And you kind of help them ignite that 
Um, probably, uh, and you said it was a, it's, it's somewhat of a, a long process um, to go through and, and help them find this or? It, it really depends on the purpose, sorry, not purpose, the person. Um, as with all eight of those areas, everybody's in a slightly different mm -hmm. state to begin with. Um, and they've already done certain amounts of work. Like you were saying, you can tell when someone's been working out in the gym, but that doesn't necessarily, they've been working out every other dimension. So they, they may need a lot of work elsewhere, but the physical well-being might be taken care of. Um, and, and so, yeah, it can be quite a, a tedious process and much like the hero's journey, um, mm -hmm. it's it can be cyclical. All right. mm -hmm. it, can, it can be something that you need to revisit um, time and time again. Like we might get partway down the road where they where they start to find that there was a, a sense of meaning in the role that they started with at a company. Was still continue down that road, but they've changed roles since then, and so now they're not feeling as connected. But they hadn't really stopped to reflect on that, and even though perhaps it was a promotion uh, and they're getting more money and things like that, they're not necessarily feeling fulfilled. Yeah. Um, and and so that is an example of how that discovery process can go. Cyclical. Okay. And then, okay, so you help an organization primarily when it, when it, when you come into an organization. Um, I mean, yeah. what is what is what is your system? What is your process for understanding? Like, you know, like our people aren't happy or whatever they think they aren't healthy. Whatever the system is, like, how do you how do you step in and how do you how do you how do you elevate? that that local community of that company what does that what does that look like for you what are the what are the big you know you know top level views of how do you look at that and how do you frame it and then how are you able to lift that up because it, changing a culture is very difficult i change culture right. it is it's like oh you, changing a mission statement on a wall is not the same thing as changing culture culture is all the yeah. things that people do when no one's looking so yeah. so the question for me is like how do you how do you actually affect change inside an organization when it already has momentum moving into a direction? Yeah, great question. And it is one of the hardest, hardest jobs that, that I am involved with. And it is, but it's very fulfilling because you impact yeah. a lot of people simultaneously. So that, that obviously is really rewarding. Yeah. But when, when it comes to organizations, I've found that the best success is from a top-down approach. And there's a lot of coaching and educating that happens there in order to get high-level managers and C-suite um, reps to, to really buy into because quite often um, it's kind of seen as a, that's a them problem uh, from above. We're, we're like, well, our employees are saying they're not happy or we're seeing high rates of turnover, so we need to, we need to fix what's happening down there. And uh, really, that has to that has to begin at the top and filter down. Now, I'm not saying that um, you need to necessarily switch out uh, your leaders within your organization or anything like that, but it, it does have to be a journey that begins at the top where he, like the buy-in for the transformation happens at the top. It is going to be organization-wide, not department-specific or uh, trying to affect a particular group because that will never work. Um, as, as you alluded to, culture is all-encompassing. It's what happens when nobody's looking. And so in order for that to happen, there has to be some really strong, clear communication of yeah. um, what what is expected, what is, um, I guess, 
what change they're trying to have an impact in and the process that that's going to take. But then the flip side is they also have to get buy-in from the people below. Yeah. Right? So in order for that, yes. that culture to transform, starts at the top, but then buy-in from the bottom and then it becomes all-encompassing. So needs to cross all of the different departments and, and segments of an organization, needs to be led by the, the cheerleader at the top, which is a CEO who's going to be mm-hmm. visual throughout it, who's going to be talking about the change, who's going to be really encouraging um, everybody to be involved with this. But then it's going to be, let's lift up some leaders in our organization that can help drive that through their peer groups and through uh, the the departments to really carry that momentum. Got it. And I mean, that makes a lot of sense. And you're talking about, right, the the, the idea and the buy-in first has to come from the top and then they have to check with the people at the bottom. They have to adapt it and grow into it. And then it's a whole systemic change all the way through. Uh, With that, um, how do you... How do you initiate difficult conversations? Because what this is, is is so many times, so many people go, yeah, that's great, but, and they don't, they don't ever actually have those hard talks. And you talk about expectations, right? And it's like, yeah, it's simple. Just tell them the things you're expecting out of them all the times, the things that they're doing terrible. And then, it, so how do you, how do you handle the difficult conversations that, that nobody in an organization uh, wants to have or is used to having? Yeah, good. So I, I meant to touch on it, but um, when I mentioned at the start, the, the coaching yeah. and the educating part of working yeah. with an organization, organizations can be pretty resistant to change um, unless they're bleeding money and they're like, we have to do something. But if, if things are going well, they're pretty resistant. To change. So when, as, as we talked about, it's trying to elevate that. And so there's a lot of educating that is going to be around, okay, well, what does a better workplace look like or a better workplace culture look like? Uh, Obviously, bringing in plenty of statistical information that is backed by research um, and and about the, the positives to not only their people, but also to address the bottom line. And that's really where... Uh, organizations kind of start to listen. They, they like, oh, all right, I'm listening. <laughs> but um, it, it's really when, when we, we start to connect the, the metrics of change to dollars mm-hmm. uh, that those difficult conversations become easier. Difficult Got conversations it. don't really become any easier uh, until you can connect those dots, um, really because if they are going to make a significant investment into something, they want to know that they're going to get an ROI uh, sure. and they want to make sure that it's executed appropriately. Do you, do you have any um, top level? Um, you're, Cause you're, you're right. Yeah. hundred percent. If you say, look, this is, this is what's going to, you know, save you a million or make you a million or whatever the thing might be sure. um, by, uh, by creating a, a, a more engaged culture. Uh, I, I could totally see that. Do you have any go-to ones that you're just like, the, the, this is my ace in the hole that I like to use that, that gets that you know disgruntled um, CEO to buy into uh, some sort of project or something? Is there uh, anything that comes top of mind that you're like, this is my powerhouse stat? I mean, yeah, the, oh, a specific stat. Um, well, I mean, when you have organizations put in place a, a robust engagement experience, which mm-hmm. is kind of led through uh, their peers, 
the, the statistics are spitting out a four x ROI on investment, mm -hmm. something like that. Um, and what that also is showing that, um, and I don't have the exact uh, statistic on this, but the level of which employee satisfaction improves is dramatic. People are less likely to um, look for actively look for other jobs, um, and they're more likely to uh, refer other people to their organization for employment. So the engagement piece is huge. Um, one thing that we did notice, though, with the pandemic is obviously stress. Um, everybody was having to rapidly adjust, uh, so organizations and people. But uh, the added stress that that created with students not being able to go to school, so they were at home with parents having to work from home and all this other stuff. So the stress one, just in this last uh, 12 to 18 months, has kind of overtaken in terms of if you can help people become more resilient, reduce their stress, and this is why mindfulness is such a big thing at the moment. But uh, if you can help people in that area, then that ROI is, um, is, is greater at the moment. And reduced stress actually leads, leads to increased engagement and uh, increased po po productivity, sorry, and a, awesome. a ton of other things. What do you think in terms of like, uh, so you're talking about reducing stress increases resilience. Yeah. Um, I got that correctly. Then I mean, well, I mean sorry, reducing stress doesn't necessarily increase resilience. If you can help people increase their resilience or uh, how they're impacted you're by right. things, yeah, you're totally right. Got that backwards. <laughs> if you increase resilience, then naturally the stress will be stress will be reduced. Um, well, you'll yeah. become just more tolerant to that. Exactly. Um, yeah. uh, what are like? What do you think in terms of what are um, either personal or company rituals? that you think increases, um, or that you've seen that increases resilience? Uh, so interestingly enough, stress will help increase resilience. So overcoming adversity yeah. helps increase resilience. The problem, so stress as a cycle is great because you get challenged, uh, and then there's a period of rest and recovery at the end of it. And that's when we start to build the resilience. The problem with the pandemic in the last 12 to 18 months has been there's been no period of rest. It's been so intense for, for a long period of time that people are hitting that stage of burnout, which is where it's detrimental. But to use an example of an athlete, again, is they'll go through extreme strength and conditioning in pre-season, but they rest. And that's where yeah. the growth happens. That's where they're getting that muscle development, that skill, that, like the motor neurons connecting from the brain to their fine motor skills. That's where that's all happening during that period of rest. Mm. And so the same is true for us in, in our own aspects of life. Uh, going through periodic challenge and stress is not bad, even though we associate stress with a negative thing. It is making sure that we have the periods of rest to follow that stress or that challenge so that we can then grow from that. Uh, that that period of rest allows us to not only recover mentally, physically, and, and so on, but it also allows us to reflect and mm -hmm. uh, develop an understanding of if we experience that again, this is what we expect and this is how we will we'll approach it. So we can kind of develop a game plan for next time. That's awesome. What what for you, I mean, in, in, this, in this topic, 
you know, what is a, a mental framework for building resilience? What is the, What does the mindset have to be? And how do you get people into that mindset, right? Because you're talking about the, the, the resilience is something, some people, you know, uh, you, you could push an avalanche, they can endure. Someone you blow on them, they'll fall over, right? So in terms of this, like, how do you, one, what is the mindset for resilience? How do you, how do you get, and then two, how do you get into that mindset if you don't already have it? Yeah, cool. So the mindset for resilience would, uh, I mean, it's growth mindset. So having the understanding that you have the ability to change. Uh, a fixed mindset is where we believe that like we are who we are, not going to change. And it, it's funny that there's a, there's a lot of people that are split down the middle, but um, I like to use the example of you because like, a lot of people, sorry, going back to my education days, yeah. when, you, when, you when you teach students, particularly, let's talk about math. A lot of people yeah. think I'm good at math or I'm not. Um, but you're not born knowing math, all right? So we have this ability to, to learn and know and grow. And that's the same with whole uh, professional experiences. Like people, as they go through their occupation, they're learning new skills. Like just think about the tech boom. Uh, and baby boomers have had to learn all of these new pieces of technology and how they work. Like that is growth. That's a growth mindset, understanding that I can take on new experiences. I can learn and grow and change. I can be adaptable and flexible. That's a growth, uh, growth mindset. And when we think about developing resilience, helping people to kind of develop that growth mindset is a really important first step having the ability to understand that they can change, that they can be flexible, that they can adjust and react or adapt to the different circumstances that they experience. Is it more of a challenge? You talked about um, teaching it, so I'm, I'm, in my mind I automatically think about yeah. teenagers. Um, and I don't know if that's accurate, but uh, yeah, sometimes- it was, sorry, seventh grade to 12th grade, yeah. Okay, great. So then, so then looking, at, looking at that that age bracket, Am I, and, 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 and um, I'm a little bit older, it's been a while since I've been in there, but just, just as a, as a, as a uh, reference point though, um, is, is mindfulness uncool? Because I imagine like trying to make kids that don't want to learn about, like, like, how do you get a teenager that maybe doesn't, that has social pressures, that doesn't want things, how do you inspire them to actually want to do these types of activities and behaviors um, when maybe their hormones are raging and everything else is going on and they got social pressure from their friends and things like that. Is there a way that you actually, you, I don't know if it's make mindfulness cool or inspire them to a new way, but I, I imagine trying to corral um, teenagers to say, hey, you know, you know, meditate with your heart wide open and, and tell me your deepest, darkest secrets is a bit of a challenge. Um, how, do you, how do you combat something like that? Yeah, great question. So uh, I guess I'll go into what mindfulness is in, in a second, but just in terms of um, the way in which we used to approach it with students, which is actually quite successful, would be when we first implemented mindfulness program at the school that I previously worked at, um, it was, yeah, a little bit of resistance from the student body. Uh, and most of that was, I think, due to a lack of understanding. They didn't really understand what we were doing. They, half of them were like, well, this is a waste of my time. I should be out at lunch still. Um, 
but there was an education process obviously in helping them understand uh, what mindfulness is, what the benefits are, how to act actively engage your mind in mindfulness. Um, and so we ended up implementing mindfulness at the beginning of classes. It'd just be like a, a two or three minute little mindfulness exercise. So when they've come in from it, either another class or from recess or lunch, that it gives them that opportunity for their mind to reset. Mm. Now, not everybody can just sit there and try to like focus on either one thing, their breath or, or, or anything like that. That's hard for kids, as you said, that have raging hormones and that are kind of in that really energetic stage of life. Yeah. And so there's other ways that you can be mindful. Um, mm. So you might have seen mindful coloring books um, and, and things like that. Mindfulness is really about just trying to point your attention to one thing. Okay, so what happens when we're not when we're not practicing mindfulness? We're being bombarded with all of these thoughts, all of these uh, things that we have to do or that have happened, um, and that's where we become stressed. Okay, it's like an overload of information that our brain is constantly having to uh, grapple with, but. Mindfulness is saying, I'm going to get rid of all of that. I'm just going to focus on one. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say, so that's why a coloring activity, for example, a mindfulness coloring activity really is about like helping them to focus on staying between the lines, making sure like <laughs> that's one example. The other yeah. example obviously is like people focusing on their breath or doing a body scan where you focus on individual parts of your body, or it could be that you are focusing on your schedule. And trying to avoid being distracted by your phone, by email, by like you're just trying to outline your schedule and that's all you pay attention to. So, yeah, helping people understand what mindfulness is makes a big difference too. Got it. So you get them understanding it. You get them to first understand it. Then they understand the benefits and then you implement it as the first thing uh, and just say, hey, this is what we're doing. Get them to go yeah. with that. And then over the time, they'll, they'll learn to appreciate it and love it because they can feel the benefits of not having that chaotic monkey mind go crazy and uh, yeah. do all the things that it does. That's oh, awesome. Um, what what about this field um, is a common is a common misconception or what is a common thought in the in the uh, mindfulness field in the in the elevating your consciousness and in this whole area that you, you help people with their um, increasing the performance. What is a common misperception in the industry that most people might have or people say from your side of the fence in terms of practitioners that you feel is just dead wrong? Oh, good question. Well, number one from, I guess, a client perspective is helping people understand that it's not voodoo. <laughs> we have some people that obviously um, think that mindfulness is some sort of religious ritual or, or something like that, that they don't necessarily connect with and they don't think it'll work for them. And so that that's one misconception. Um, Obviously, like mindfulness in terms of religion is really heavily associated with Buddhism. Um, and, and that is a practice that Buddhists do, but it's not necessarily, it doesn't have to be religious in nature. Uh, so that that is um, definitely part of the, the education. In so terms of other, sorry, you go. Oh, yeah, yeah. So one is voodoo. Like, hey, are you going to sacrifice a chicken inside my office? And the other one yeah. is it's, it's a religion, right? So. Yeah. So both those things are are are, are issues of, of, of educating people and saying, hey, it's not this. So um, you, were, I just want to make sure I understood that. Could you please continue? 
Yeah, no worries. I, I was just going to say, in terms of what other practitioners are saying that I don't agree with or that I see that are, that are flaws, there's a lot out there about mindfulness now. I'm not really seeing too many competing ideas. Mm. It seems like there's been a lot of research that has come out, particularly within the last 18 months. Uh, and since Headspace and, and all these big mindfulness companies are, are really public, I think there's a there's becoming a, a better use of verbiage amongst practitioners um, and better way of relaying what mindfulness is. Um, it it could be better. I think there, as I mentioned, that mindfulness can be done in all different ways. Mm-hmm. I think that is something that would resonate with more people than sitting there. Like for some people, sitting there listening to calming music and just breathing works, and that is what the majority of uh, resources do at the moment. Um, but I think it could be better communication about other ways in which people can be mindful to help, uh, manage their stress, build resilience and those sorts of things. Got it. Yeah. Well, on that, on that note, you know, is there, is there something about the industry that, or something about the, the overall, um, the future of the industry that, that, that concerns you or that you're, that you causes fear in some way, shape or form? Is there something about, um, where this is all going that, that, you know, makes you go, Ooh, I don't know if that's a good thing. Well, <laughs> um, with the, I'm just going to refer to the last 18 months cause it's so fresh to everybody. Yeah, sure. But let's, let's... One of the things that has become evident is how much we're all super like hyper aware of wellness and well-being. uh, where we're all looking for ways in which we can be healthier versions of ourselves. And that's awesome. The scary thing to me is how much organizations are capitalizing on our vulnerabilities um, without necessarily educating people along the way. And I think that that is a downfall because we're going, my prediction is we, we will see a cycle. We're going to see people who, and I have nothing against Pelotons, but I'm going to say, at the beginning, when when at the pandemic, Peloton obviously their stock rose. Everybody was buying a Peloton. You got to be stuck at home. They were the it piece of home fitness equipment, and awesome. People were taking action to be healthy at home. Love it. But again, I see a problem that there there's a disconnect from the other areas of our lives that also need that that attention that need us to uh, feed them mm. in order to really have a robust effect to our well-being. So yeah, we we all tend to think of yeah, physically healthy, then I'm well. And I think that that is going to cause, um, yeah, some challenges in the, in the future. I think people are going to become so focused on their physical well-being and mental well-being that when they get those in the right spot, they're still going to have issues and not really know where to turn. Uh, and that's because of the, that's because of not being aware or having that disconnect from the other dimensions. They're going to hit this place where I work out every day. I do my mindfulness. I'm still not healthy. I'm still not happy. I'm still not successful. And why is that? Well, then they'll just look to the next thing that's being sold because that's what we typically do. We look for something that can fill that void. Um, but there's not enough education out there about that. So, got it. So, so the thing is, is that you know, some people are 
often selling the solution as like, if you do this, this will solve all of your life's problems, but they're not really addressing it because you, you might get fit, but you're still not happy, right? Or yeah. you might get you know, emotionally happy, but you're not fit. So the, the challenge is that people are capitalizing on the pain that people are feeling from this pandemic um, yeah. without actually saying, hey, look, this is one piece of your life. Um, you know, you might get fit, but you know, um, but you might want to stop drinking every day or whatever yeah. the thing might be, right? And so it's- <laughs> Completely. <laughs> yeah. But, and I mean, as a business person, you yeah. completely understand why. I mean, yeah. it's great business sense to say, this is gonna solve all your problems because <laughs> it'll sell. But um, it has its, yeah, it has its problems as well. I mean, just to touch on that one last time. So yeah. your emotional well-being, like a lot of people will be compulsive eaters or they might perhaps not eat or they can be, uh, really extreme at working out or yeah. they can't work out because of their emotional state. But someone who, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you have, you can't fix one without the other is what I'm trying to say. And that goes across all of the dimensions. Like there's going to be a point where you need to turn your attention to the other things in Listen. order to fully see that potential that you have. Looking at that, um, what made me think about this is, so, so how do you, how do you get someone to, to take that leap of action, right? So there's something that they want to do, but they maybe don't want, like they want it, but they're afraid, or maybe they want it and they need to, they need to cross that chasm and they need to, they need to make that jump, right? Because some people, um, I often think that people live lives of quiet desperation, right? You know, right. And, and and so they, 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 there's a thing that they want to do, but they, for some reason, they can't take that action, whether it's fear, doubt, insecurity, uncertainty, or whatever the type of things is. How do you, how do you structure things in place to get people to do things that they know they should do, but they don't? Yeah, great. So uh, it's, it's really about breaking them down into small pieces and then trying to put it in place where those small things become habits. And then you can build upon those small things. So uh, have you heard of BJ Frog and, and his uh, book, Tiny Habits? I've heard um, a bit about it. Yeah. Not, yeah, uh, not I, mean, I haven't read the book, but I know a bit about it. Yeah. In terms of habit development, he, he's got a, he's got it pretty well uh, lined up. But what he suggests is you break things down into bite-sized pieces and then you pair it with something that you already do either or directly after. Um, and that tends to be the most successful way. Like if someone, for example, is they know they need to work out and they're really struggling to do so. They can't, they don't want to go to a gym, like they're self-conscious, like there's all these barriers and there's all these reasons not to do it, but they know they need to for their health. Well, it's giving them something manageable that they can do in small bite-sized increments and that can then be made into a habit. So for example, first thing up, so something I do every day is I wake up. When I wake up, I'm going to do three squats, for example. Well, eventually I'm going to wake up, I'm going to do 10 squats, but it's about pairing some, like pairing an action or a desired behavior with something that you already do yeah. so that every time you do that thing, you know, you've got the other thing straight after it. He, yeah. um, I heard an interview from him and he talked about how he just wanted to do push-ups, And so he, every time he went to the bathroom, which he does every day, he would do three push-ups, and then he, yeah, eventually he would uh, increase that and increase that. And eventually you get to a point where, all right, this is just part of my life now. And hopefully during that phase, they start to feel 
more secure in themselves, a bit, a bit more self-confident. Perhaps they don't need to go to a gym necessarily, but they're happy to go outside for a run or do some exercise in a public environment, which is going to help hopefully continue to fuel that, um, that change. I could, I couldn't help but to think about, uh, about him. Like, I'm like, I wonder if it goes before or after. I'm like, I'm going to imagine. After. Because imagine you going, oh God, I gotta, I can't hold it. Oh, no. <laughs> just trying to do the push-ups. Let me go. No, it's, uh, yeah. that seems that that seems messy. Um, uh, what about like you talk about? Uh, you wake up every morning. Congratulations, that's awesome. Yeah, what what is, what is what is what does your morning routine look like? Someone in this space for you? How do what do you, you know? How do you structure your morning to 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 get the most out of your day? Yeah, great. So I, I'm an early sleeper. My wife and I um, both go to bed relatively early. So I, I'm an early riser as well. So awesome. usually rise between sort of five thirty, six o'clock. Um, very first thing that I'll do is get dressed. Uh, then I'll go and get myself a glass of water. Um, mm. And just for anybody listening, we, we all wake a little bit dehydrated. So first thing in the morning, if you can replenish that with some water, uh, if you want some flavor, add some lemon juice in that. That also kickstarts the metabolism really good. Uh, but that's that's my first thing. I typically have clients uh, early in the morning as well. So I, I kind of go through this process of prep um, where I'll do some mindfulness, mm -hmm. which kind of uh, just prepares me mentally for the day. Uh, then I'll do my daily intentions. So looking at my calendar, I'll say what my daily intentions are for the day, what I'll Hope to achieve how do i hope to uh, help a particular client with something that they're they're battling and then i will get my food and things ready for the day so I make myself coffee um, make my breakfast lunch and whatever i need for the day so that i'm not tempted to buy stuff um, just have it all all prepared but um yeah that's typically my morning and then when i leave the house i uh, will go to go to the gym, work out. Um, during, during the shutdown, we've also got a home gym. But since, since things have opened up a little bit more, I, I find myself not using that as much. I tend yeah. to go to the gym. So, um, but yeah, so that, that's typically my morning routine. Uh, that's that's and, cool. Yeah, yeah. Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, so doing that, it, it might sound like a lot, but really within the first hour and a half of my day, I've done mindfulness, I've hydrated myself, I've got healthy nutrition in my breakfast, done my intentions and planned my day, and I've worked out. And that's, awesome. like, people say they don't have enough time. That's an hour and a half of my day, and I'm good to go. Like, the rest of my day is kind of my oyster. I can serve my clients. If I want to do some more exercise later, I can, but I don't have to because I've already done it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Get that out first, power up for the That's day, it. armor up. I love it. I love it. Yep. What's your, um, what's your holy grail? Like, what do you, like, for your company and everything you're doing, uh, little hero's journey talk, what is it ultimately, what's your ultimate holy grail that you envision for, for you, for yourself, and for Zoetic? Yeah, I have lofty goals. Uh, great, great. <laughs> as I, I should, but yeah. everybody should have had some aspirations <laughs> out there. But really, I guess the the dream for Zoetic is to continually go on this. Actually, I'm going to take a step back. So yeah, 
when I talk about Zoetic, I constantly talk about this concept or the notion of thriving, which seems to be a bit of a buzzword at the moment and uh, people throw it around a lot. My definition of thriving is the continual pursuit for health, happiness and success. Um, and the continual pursuit not being the end of the journey because when we stop searching, we stop experiencing and we stop uh, thriving, essentially. Yeah. So it is that continual pursuit. Now, for Zoetic, I guess the dream is, is that continual pursuit of helping others to become healthy, happy and successful. Um, what does that look like? Uh, I mean, I have no ambition to be a publicly traded company. I have no, I, if that ends up happening down the line and Zoetic becomes, a, I guess, a, a mega company, awesome. Mm. But my, uh, I guess my mission is to really help educate and empower people to be healthier, happier, more successful versions of themselves. And I'd love to do that on the largest scale possible. Um, we've started training up some other coaches with Zoetic Principles. Um, we call it Zoeticism. So, um, but, but, Wait, uh, I'll let you finish that thought. I have a question on that, but please go okay, finish cool. it. Yeah, yeah, um, cool. So, yeah, I mean, like, I hope to be able to reach as many people as possible, but mm. at the end of the day, I recognize that changing one life is just as important. Um, and you never know who you're going to impact. Um, and so whether it is with individuals, with teams of athletes, at schools or organizations, I think everybody's life is important. And if I can help them to become healthier, happier, and more successful, then that is what success looks like to me. I mean, if I was going to be a traditionalist, I'd say schools are super important, getting the education in when people are, are young um, so that we can develop healthy habits uh, and high-performing habits for life. Uh, but there's also a sense of idealism there because not every school has uh, funding or structure to be able to implement something like that. Um, and so that process is going to take it's, a lot of awareness so as well. It's so funny to me that that schools are so bad at learning. Like I just yeah. think it's the, the irony <laughs> no. of that, that statement is so funny to me. And it's like you know, schools they can't ever figure things out. You know, it's like but you but we're sending our kids there to learn. It's just the irony is 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 is, is poetic. Um, yeah, I and, like the way you said that. That's good. Uh, well, and, and and speaking of poetic though, zoetic. Where does that come from? What is that? What is that term? Yeah. So zoetic means vitality um, or to live life to the full, get the most out of life. Uh, and it's derived from, so Zoe is ancient Greek for life. Uh, and so Zoetic is to get the most out of life possible or vitality. Yep. That's Got where it, it comes from. Got it, to maximize life. Oh, beautiful. Yep. And then for you, what, you talked about this expansion and helping people reach their full potential. It's a beautiful, wonderful goal. Like having people be healthy, happy, fit, and feeling thriving is is incredible, and that's an, that's a that is one of the best gifts you can you can really give anybody, um, which is which is wonderful, um, which is also a challenge because they gotta they gotta earn that, they gotta make that, they gotta they gotta do that. You can show them the path, but they gotta climb that mountain, which is which is a challenge. Uh, what do you think is your what is the dragon you need to slay? Like what is the what in order for you to get to that to get to that holy grail? 
What is preventing you, the thing that it feels somewhat insurmountable to you, that you that you might die if you come up against? Maybe not, maybe not physically, maybe physically, but metaphorically. What is the dragon that you need to slay to, to achieve your holy grail? That's a that's a very good question. I think there's a lot of pieces to that. I, I, maybe a lot of dragons, actually. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but, sure. Um, I think, and I'm sure that many entrepreneurs and business owners would, would say the same thing, that one of the biggest challenges is themselves. Because you tend to be most critical of yourself, uh, particularly I am. Um, and so trying to perfect things before they are fully perfected um, or before you even even take it to market, for example, is, is a barrier. Now, there, for me, I think the biggest barrier is just getting the word out there and, and helping people become part of this conversation of what thriving is, what does well-being and human performance look like for the average person? Um, how can we all be better athletes at life. Mm -hmm. I think that, um, I think there's a, there's a lot of reluctant to, reluctance to change. I think that there is a lot of education that needs to happen there. And that, that means me getting out into the public forum, obviously uh, being, being more on, on social media and, uh. and podcasts like you, like your own, things like that, where people are going to be able to access the information. Um, what's so the, that's probably what's... what, yeah. What about that? So this is great, um, and and uh, it's 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 awesome. So when you're talking about slaying the dragon, you're saying the dragon is within me. I need to get the word out, and I just and I and I and there's a, there's a there's a dragon inside you. So what is the what does the dragon cause emotionally for you? Is that is it fear or what about the the you need to what about you that needs to be slain in order for, or the dragon inside you that needs to be slain in order for you to get that word out there? What is that? Can you connect those yeah. dots for me? Yeah, a little bit. So I, I would say that the, the biggest dragon in terms of preventing me getting that out there is just, I am, <laughs> I'm not that old, I'm 34. I should know how to operate social media and all that sort of stuff effectively. <laughs> but I think that's a common misconception people have. But, um, totally, but man. really, I think that that not really knowing the best avenues to do it, like, I don't really have any problems or doubt about the, the, the concepts and the way in which I can facilitate uh, helping people be their best and, and their healthiest and most successful selves. But uh, that process is something that I've been doing for years and uh, it's fairly fine-tuned now, even though everybody's different, the process is kind of the same. The, the challenge for me is navigating the the current ways in which people receive their information, yeah. which is so diverse, whether it's, I mean, social media, um, blogs, podcasts, all that stuff. I mean, there's so many avenues or, or different things that you can be a part of. It's kind of overwhelming. <laughs> and uh, not really knowing how to tackle that dragon yeah. is my biggest uh I guess my biggest challenge for sure. That's great. No, it's 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 really it's really insightful to say that. And you're right, man. There's it's online social media stuff is a challenge, and and you could you could dive deep into any one of the platforms and just spend yeah. your whole thing. And I, it's one of the things I struggled with personally with like like I don't like like cute texts about things and inspirational. I, I don't yeah. like I get all I I overthink that, and so 
Uh, you know, that's why with me, like, the, I like these in-depth conversations, right? It's easy to just yeah. turn on a camera and have a conversation. You know, it's just, you're, it's, it's, it's hard because we are in this weird, connected, global, digital society. And, like, you already have a full-time job with what you do. And that yeah. being an online socialness, what I always think it's like, you're basically cutting off a piece of your soul. And you're like, I'm going to yeah. cut this thing off and I'm going to put it online. And that piece is like that is so much that is an effort into that thing, and so you're, you're totally right. But that that gives you that, that's a really interesting understanding to see kind of like what's the chasm and, and how you can you know what can you do if you if you slay that dragon, then you're able to spread the message and spread the word, which is beautiful. Um, that's awesome. What? Um, let me ask you this: um, Is there anything else? You would like to let people know about uh, what you do or any of those other types of things, any things you got going on in your world before you tell people how to get a hold of you and how, how they can find out more about what you do. And, and, and if they want to get a hold of you, you know, how do they reach out to you? Um, so, yeah, going back to your first, first part, um, yeah. in terms of anything else I'd like to say, I'd just like yeah. to uh, encourage people, first of all, to take a moment to, to reflect on, on who they are and the life that they're living. Um, mm. Do they feel like they have, uh, are they at their potential? And, and I'm going to help people. None of us ever get to our potential. But what I mean by that is, is, <laughs> is there a part of your life that you're, that you could see growth helping you further, mm. particularly in terms of uh, feeling a sense of fulfillment in your life? Um, it's something that we don't often stop to think about and it's such a valuable experience to be able to look intrinsically, understand more about yourself. Um, it, it's a really valuable exercise to do with your family as well. Uh, so if you've got uh, a spouse or you've got kids or loved ones around you, it, it can also be a really insightful experience to understand them better uh, and strengthen relationships. So that's one thing I think. Um, in terms of self-growth, self-growth, um, mm -hmm. I'd love to encourage people to not stop trying. Because, so mm -hmm. I'm reminded of a Michael Jordan quote where he said, as soon as I stop trying to be better, I stop being good. And life isn't, for the, for the majority of us, it's not about championships and it's not about necessarily um, trying to, to beat the Joneses or anything like that. But it's more of a competition with ourselves. And are you getting the, the most that you can out of life given your innate potential? Like the DNA that you've been kind of blessed with, are you using it? And is there something more out there for you? So I, th I think that's a, that's a really powerful exercise that I'd love to encourage people to do. I... Um, Moving into to the next part of this year, we are mm. going to be, uh, I in particular, are going to be helping individuals that are that are wanting to navigate that that process a little bit more in depth. So, uh, at the moment, I'm offering a free first sort of coaching session to anybody who's who's interested. Um, and I would, I don't know if you can share this in, in the chat, but my email address, if you'd like to get in touch with me and book one of those appointments, doesn't matter where you are around the world, which is the uh, great thing about technology, but uh, my email address is ian.anderson at zoeticwellbeing.com. And 
yeah, the, the way in which I, I work with people as a coach is, is really helping you to navigate the complexities of, of those eight different dimensions, those pillars that I, that I mentioned earlier, um, in order to optimize your well-being and unlock your potential to perform and be healthier, mm-hmm. happier, and successful. So, um, yeah, I mean, you can find me on social media at Zoetic Wellbeing, as I mentioned, not my strong suit. So, <laughs> uh, connect with Go me. Go to the website. Best. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's ian.anderson at zoeticwellbeing.com. So, That's if anybody, anybody's looking for that, they can sign up for free coaching, check them yeah. out, connect virtually, uh, and, and, and work to uncover and discover their. Their, their, their mission, their purpose, and 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 overall just elevate themselves. So, uh, Ian, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time, brother. I really love to chat with you. I uh, appreciate you um, and all the work that you do, man. Keep it up. Keep the well-being thriving, my friend. And, uh, and I look forward to talking to you again soon, and I'll, I'll see you on the other side. Thanks, Dylan. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely, brother. Cheers. Take care now. I'll see you. Cheers. You Thank you for listening to the Heroes of Reality podcast. Check out heroesofreality.com for more episodes. While you're there, you can also take the Heroes quiz to find out what kind of hero you are. Or if you have a great story and want to be on the podcast, tell us why your hero's journey will inspire others. Thank you for listening. See you on the other side.